0: And welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday, the 11th of November 2015. And joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers. Space is
1: disease and danger, wrapped in darkness and silence.
0: News editor Mark Hodgkinson.
1: So, what kind of compact training do you have?
0: And audio reviewer Ed Selly. Do they still have sandwiches there? Hello. Welcome back to the podcast, and uh, before we go any further, we promised this last week, so we'll do it straight away. All these people gave us five-star ratings on iTunes. If you do the same, we will read your name out. Like Steve Baxter, who said, enjoying the podcast, keep up the good work. Spookter said, it's like listening to mates down the pub, only you never have to buy a round. Steve will relate to that. In summary, it's witty, funny, informative, and useful. If only my wife was like that. Uh, Smurfing, and we're cutting down his quote here just to one important part, said, I like the delusional bloke who thinks 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray is going to be a success. Andy ASB also gave us five stars, said, I must listen. Uh, For me, the first podcast I turn on on my commute, but I'm also the kind of person who lies awake at night Worrying about HDCP 2.2 compatibility. We feel you, Andy. Yeah, I know. How you feel, mate. Uh, Disney D29 also gave us five stars and said, love you guys, we love you back. Uh, Mayo and Commode take me to work in the morning and you guys take me home. Thanks from an old listener. And that's it for the time being. Can it- I
2: just say that I will wait till CES to find out whether I'm delusional about the success of uh,
0: Ultra HD Blu-ray? Well,
1: you're not going to find out then, are you? <laughs> They'll tell you it's, it's going to well, be a success, but it doesn't mean it will be.
0: That's very true, Mark. Very true. Nice to see you switched on for once. We uh, we also promised, going forward, no more Star Wars talk. Well, <laughs> we lied on that one. <laughs> because over the weekend, well, on Friday, there was a new international trailer launched and then TV spot turned up on Sunday night. The international trailer, the one that broke covers first of all, was the Japanese trailer. Um, not sure what the text said. I could guess what the text said, but... Sure, it'd be accurate, but new footage in each of these. And I've been following some of the conversation on the forum, Steve. And some people avoiding these trailers like The Plague, and I I know why they're doing that, but at the same time, I don't think it gives too much away. And there's no spoilers in any
3: of them, I'm just, just putting it out there. I think I've seen enough. I'm excited. I don't need to see any more. Obviously, I, I except for the nature of this podcast, we're possibly going to discuss something, and that's by the by, but I don't need to see any more footage. Oh, I'm I going, should it. oh, It's, no, it's
0: um, utterly fantastic. The hairs on the back of your neck. Yeah, I can understand
2: why people don't want to see trailers, because modern trailers have a very bad tendency to give away the entire film. These do not. These tease you in the way a trailer should, give you a taster, but... I still don't really have any idea what the actual plot is. All I know is it looks bloody good in the trailers. So, if you haven't seen the trailers yet, don't worry. Watch them, enjoy it, get excited, and then start counting down five weeks to go until we can go and see it.
0: <laughs> like you're not counting, Steve. <laughs> Why well, not? I am counting down. Now.
2: You've got an
0: advent calendar.
2: <laughs>
3: hey, I will have an advent calendar <laughs> oh, in about see, three weeks time. <laughs> now you see, there,
0: there's a bit of marketing that they forgot about. They yeah, could have done that. I bet they, they, they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not going to count down to the opening of the film, is it? That's true, no. That would be
2: quite good. But I guess you could buy an advent calendar and start 24 days before the film opens.
0: Yeah, can you put your cup of tea and saucer down, please? <laughs> Coffee, actually. So the new bits of footage that we have seen, it kind of just fleshes some other characters out a little bit. We get to see a little bit more of them, but nothing that could be construed as a spoiler, Steve, because no. you know, we, we still don't quite know the full story behind Ray. Scavenger. Interesting line that she says she's waiting on a family.
2: Yeah, is... I mean, there's a few clues in there. I think um, if you look at the supercut, which combines all the footage, um, you get you get a rough idea of context for some of the scenes. So there's some stuff of her scavenging on a desert planet. Um, there's a, a, an attack on the desert planet, and then later on, there's obviously some sort of battle going on on an icy planet or a snowy place. Just stop um, you
0: there. Have you seen the Battlefront trailer for the Battle of Is Jakku? No. Hmm. Interesting, because that that is a little bit spoilerish. So,
2: I mean, there's certainly there are characters that we're not not even sort of speaking about Luke Skywalker here, but there are other characters that we know are in the film, other actors we know are in the film. We haven't seen them yet at all. So there's lots and lots that still hasn't been shown. They've only teased a bit. And I'm, um, I'm
0: still confused with Finn. What's his story? He's a stormtrooper, isn't
2: he? Well, but is he? I'm pretty sure that he is a, a stormtrooper who's basically gone AWOL by, yep. by the looks of it.
0: Or, or he could have been an undercover rebel agent that was... That wasn't. doesn't
2: tie in with the dialogue, though, about, you know, I've been trained all my life for one thing. I've got nothing to Well, well
0: m- maybe he was trained all his life to infiltrate the Empire, and, and he got found out. Maybe. But, um, well, I mean, I, we don't know.
2: That's the great thing, isn't it? We don't know. We'll find out. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Mark I've got to be so sur- I am genuinely surprised here that you are getting excited about this. You get um, you don't get excited about anything.
1: No. This is di- <laughs> this is different. I feel I do feel like I'm 8 years old again. I watched that supercut you put up on uh, Facebook earlier and, and like as you say hairs on the back of my neck sort of I think I'll cry at the movie. I think I will like- <laughs> <laughs> it, it's incredible, but I have, I've reached that point now where I've seen enough. I don't want to see anymore because that was that was nearly five minutes of trailer, wasn't it? And it, you know, the story is. i have not really seen anything major, you know, plot wise. But yeah, that's enough. I'm excited enough. I might watch it one more time, and I'm, I'm there. I'm very excited.
0: I mean, the genuine feeling I'm getting from this. By the way, crying at the movies, '97 uh, at uh, the uh, the V issues <laughs> special edition. The, the, I did well up when it came on the big screen, because I hadn't seen it since I was a nipper on the big screen until that moment. A D- bit different have with Phantom Have you seen of.
2: Star Wars on the big screen? The original Star Wars? Like? Yes,
0: 1978. and I
2: On re- the reissue, or on the original release?
0: I think it was original release, 78. My, 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 my granny keeps telling me about how she took me there, and maybe I'm living it through her memory. Maybe I don't have that great a memory about it, but I was definitely there because she worked at the cinema and took yeah. me along to it and it was 1978 and she still yeah. mentions it to this day you're 93 year old and she still remembers that so you've sidetracked me now
2: yeah no, well I'll tell you what I, I got so excited this morning I started buying up various things on Amazon you know or ordering <laughs> things on Amazon like you know, the art of Star Wars The Force Awakens the making of Star Wars The Force Awakens the soundtrack on CD you know thought I get... none, yeah, the, none I of this stuff CD. is out on
0: the 18th so, you're obviously getting paid too much if you can afford to yeah, go and blow right, your money so. on all that kind of stuff
2: Christmas presents to myself <laughs> best kind <laughs> yeah
0: i guess the, the only sort of real thing that we can take and again this this could be just to divert our attention from where the film actually goes but it does seem to be very much Ray's story this one
2: yeah i mean and that's interesting isn't it because there hasn't really been i mean have obviously we've had princess leia and um princess was it queen amadala
0: senator amadala yeah the, just, the only two women in the universe they, literally <laughs> pretty much
2: the only two women apparently in the entire <laughs> universe apart from arm <laughs> So having a, 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 a female lead, if you like, is, is different and unusual and great, I think, good news for Star Wars, generally, because it has been very male-dominated up until now, so that would be quite good. But it does look like, so in the way the trailers are being uh, um, you know, approached, it does give the impression, at least, that it's very much her story. And obviously, you mentioned it earlier, Phil, who are her parents. I've got, I have got. think I've got a pretty
0: good idea. They might yeah, I think be. everybody's got a Just good idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we said it a couple of weeks ago, I mean, uh, the resemblance between her and a couple of actresses who have played, that genetic line, let's just leave it at that, they look very, very similar. Yeah.
2: And also, like, you mentioned it before, but it's got a nice adult tone to it. The footage looks serious. It doesn't look jokey. There's no standing in poo or farting. In yeah, the yeah, it's like,
0: yeah. It's it's not none, be- of the, none of the childish oh, stuff. And, and again, the music. I, I love what they're doing. I mean, the latest on TV spot was Yoda's theme, and it seems to be the Empire Strikes Back uh, soundtrack that they seem to be taking a lot of the stuff for Which for the I've got to for. say is
2: the best of the Yeah, factor. yeah,
0: yeah, totally, totally.
2: Yeah. Um, so why not use it? But uh, I did actually laugh to last week's podcast. I
0: think it was it
2: either you or Ed Phil that mentioned it to me, but I read the guy's theory about Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> and uh, I I'd love it if he turned out to be the big villain behind the scenes in this one. <laughs> It would, in a strange way, it would almost save the prequels. <laughs> almost.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what was that one again? I think it was Reddit, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. 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 So I'll stick
3: the link in this thread. If uh, yeah, put it,
2: it in the thread Ed, because it was. It is worth a read. It's not that long, but it, uh, I I kind of think it's like, not that, that, that long. Kind
3: of, although it does represent a worrying amount of research. On yeah, the yeah. He spent a long time people.
2: on it. But you kind of think if that had actually been Lucas's approach, and if he had done what the guy suggests in the second film in, in episode two, it would have been really good. <laughs> it would have, it would really have been worked. up there with
3: the usual suspects. That's what it way. Yeah, like, for, for, a, for, a, for a for blown.
2: Yeah. It would have been absolute genius. So uh, it's a real shame they didn't do that.
0: Miser Kaiser he?
3: Unfortunately that ship has sailed
0: yeah so ed, ed you've said you're you're avoiding these i mean ed, is there any reason other than you don't want to pollute yourself with, with images or no I, I i just i've seen enough i'm
3: excited um it's interesting under normal circumstances i wouldn't really be that het up about it but you know this is an event sort of thing i you know i i Soon enough to be to be convinced to go i I just don't need to see any more for the moment it's interesting my brother-in-law never watches any trailer of any description for any film he will go and see in the cinema um and i'd never really considered it up to that point but i'm just just annoy you know just the very possibility that it's something that will you know break the unbridled joy seeing something for the first time like that in imax i'm just just content to leave it be you know, I don't feel. I mean, it's you know, there, there are plenty of other things to keep me keep me interested, so I'll, I'll be fine.
2: Ed, how mm. does he avoid the trailers at the cinema? Does he like go in time his entry into the cinema to just miss all the trailers, or does he sit there with his yeah. hands over his ears and his <laughs> he eyes? Goes goes in, going, la, he goes in. La, 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 la. He goes
3: in pretty late, and because it's all assigned seating these days in the MKS New World, and then I believe sticks earphones in and just gets his head down onto 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 a small screen. It's
0: hardcore. Yeah, yeah, no question. Um, Right, okay, I think that's enough Force Awakens for this week's podcast. Uh, Five (laughs) weeks to go, still plenty of time to talk about
2: it. 13 for next week then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if if you don't want to hear anything about um, the Star Wars movies, when you tune out the podcast, I'd probably just jump to about 15 minutes in, you should miss miss everything. Uh, Before we go though, honest teaser, rather than an honest trailer from Screen Junkies, The Force Awakens, they absolutely nail it. It yeah, is funny. so, so funny. So it doesn't give anything away. It's just really, really funny. So we'll go and watch that. that back
2: to the as well.
0: Yeah, and it's only been released for five days and it's already got over two million views. Um, is yeah, they get
3: proper traffic on
0: YouTube. They really do.
3: Although one and three quarter million of those views is from Phil. So,
2: um, <laughs> and the rest for me.
0: So I've lost count of many times I've looked at that super cap. And the tra- I've, I've forgotten now what the individual trailers are all like.
2: Very well done, I have to say. The guy who ever did that cut uh, absolutely nails it in terms of creating a really brilliant. It's like five minutes long, and um, it, all, it runs together really well. It really, and it really sells the um, the epic scale of this film. I think, particularly the, the sight of that crash star destroyer in the
1: desert, which looks amazing. Oh, stop it now, Steve! It's getting too much. <laughs>
0: He's going to mm-hmm. start crying in a minute. Too
1: well. I'm going stop,
0: to start <laughs> do something
1: in my trousers. <laughs>
0: So anyway, um, like we say, that's uh, The Force Awakens. Get, get your new update next week on how excited we are. Mark might actually uh, be a blubbering wreck by then. Yeah.
1: Could be, if I watch
2: any more. The thing will be that uh, when we do the podcast after that film comes out, we will all have seen it, won't we? We should be. You're going to see it, right, Mark? Yeah, definitely. It'll be, it'll be it'll a first. We've seen the film. It should be a first. Absolutely, definitely
0: first. It was, was going to be the Christmas special, but I have a funny feeling it's going to be the Star Wars special. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: going to be the, the, the podcast holiday special. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well. I'm, I'm not doing any singing or dancing. That's for sure. Ed can do all that. That's Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, I'm sure we'll come back to it in the weeks ahead. Uh, moving things on swiftly, before Mark bursts into tears, uh, tell us what... We can win, and who won?
1: The current competition is for the Lady Killers on Blu-ray, uh, and that's available to all members t- till the twenty seventh of November. And we've got winners this week! Woohoo! We've got one, two, three of them. Um, the Nvidia Shield Android TV, excellent prize that. That was won by Five HP. Uh, and then we've got Waterworld on Blu-ray, and that was won by LRG Sefton. I think My I'm saying that right. It's actually IRG it? Is it? I'm, sl- I'm sat some way back. Oh, it's a capital I. Yes. Right, okay. Uh, and then Epic <laughs> on Blu ray was run by the rather charmingly named Rancid Punk.
0: It was one or rung? One.
1: Did I say rung? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and you're having trouble reading that on a screen in your review TVs?
1: Uh, well, I know. It's a capital I, I. I didn't know it was a capital I. I thought it was a, a small L.
0: Oh, dear. Right, let's move things on. Steve was out the office last week. Finally, what was it like getting out in daylight, Steve? Where there still was some.
2: It was nice, thanks. Very <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: i uh, got a chance to go down to um, LG's new offices, which are in Weybridge. Unfortunately, they used to be in Slough, which was a downside near nearer me than Weybridges. But we're down to Weybridge. Actually, you can see Sony's offices out the window across the road.
0: And Mer- um, Mercedes World there as well, isn't and, it? Yeah, they're
2: at Mercedes World. That's where LG actually are based. It's uh, a Mercedes World complex.
0: And have you ever been on, on the Brooklyn track there? There's still one of the bends is there because that used to be the old racetrack, you know. Which is why uh, it's yes
2: shady. yes I know I haven't been on it but I've seen uh...
3: I walked up it years ago. You must have needed balls the size of space to hotels. drive up
0: on the side. Oh yeah totally.
3: In a car with negligible braking. And, and then no when you wheel, look when you stability. look at the
0: surface as well Ed, it's no tarmac I it's, it's like cobble.
3: Well that was be- it was better uh it would don't get me wrong it was still hardly what you'd describe as as you know a modern race surface but it was it, it that has degraded over time but the, the the steepness of that banking is like bloody hell
0: it's been a few years ago since i was last there. they had the whole sorry steve we'll come back to lg in a minute That's <laughs> all right uh they had the whole brooklyn's museum I, i'm not sure if it's still there or not anymore uh, yes so. it is yes it is
2: yes it is is it because I, end, I ended up in their car park by accident trying to find the bloody place on wednesday <laughs> um because the sat that sends you into the Brooklyn Museum and you're on the wrong side of the whole complex. And to get there, you have to go back out and then all the way around again to ages. Um, but yes, it is still there.
0: Right. And of course, so you got to go past uh, Mercedes World, which is great. They've got the racetrack there and they've got the wet track as well, which is... Did they have a thing on there or not?
2: No, no, no. There
0: was nothing on at the time. Yeah, but you weren't sat in the office.
2: Uh, well, I was sat in their office. <laughs> <laughs> it's a relative, I suppose. Um yeah, and the reason that we were there, um, uh, it was basically a chance for them to, it was a, a mixture of journals, so some more technical than others, so it was a fairly broad presentation. There was the usual, this is what we've been up to this year, this is how Ultra HD has been doing uh, quite well, apparently, they think. There's, they said they're going to have it, not just them, but across all brands, a million Ultra HD 4K TVs sold in the UK this year, which is quite impressive. But they, and they also talked about the benefits of OLED, again, we know that quite well, but for some of the journalists, um, maybe that was relatively new information. <laughs> Where it got interesting was from the point of view of their views on uh, specifically HDR. Uh, they had a guy who rang in, on, um, rang in from the States, uh, one of the HDR experts in America, actually an English guy, but based in the States, to talk about HDR. And obviously, this is LG's perspective, but given that they're the pretty much the only people at the moment who are pushing OLED, their view very much is that uh, HDR is about dynamic range. It's about the range between black and peak white. Um, and if you've got a, a, a deeper black, a deeper floor to start with, if your blacks are really black, you don't have to go as bright to create the same amount of impact as you would if you don't have such a deep black floor to start with and you have to go brighter into the highlights. Well, this, so this is a this yeah, is an an point. We surely
3: would be saying this as a cynical person. Isn't that having read the reviews because at the moment their TVs don't successfully go as bright? No, no. The moment that you do push them, they start doing slightly aberrant things.
0: Yeah, but they don't need to be pushed. I think that's that's the important point, um, Ed, whereas if you think about how far LED, LCD TV is away in terms of black level, they're, they're starting far higher. So they need more power, more brightness to try and almost fake the dynamic range, whereas because it's self-emitting technology, OLED, it's starting at, at the perfect point to start and everything is built from the black level up and, and this was very true of Plasma and so why Plasma was the best technology out there because you get the black floor right and you get the black levels right and just above black, everything else falls into place like colour and, and contrast and everything else. So you don't have to go super bright and that that's the big advantage of, of OLED um, and why LED LCD has to be brighter than that to, to compete.
2: Yeah, I mean... Y- if you look about it, look at it logically. You don't need a thousand nits of highlights brightness. Certainly, you're never going to work at an image that's that bright across the whole thing. So, you know, if you look at uh, LCDs, are talking about uh, peak brightness of a thousand nits at least. Um, Dolby Vision, obviously, is talking about even higher than that, four thousand nits. Now, I, I, that just seems insanely bright to me, particularly when you don't need to see that on a whole image. There's just going to be you know, little highlights within the image.
0: Now, if if they're mastering in the studio at that, and they're the mastering for a big screen image, and I'm talking fifty feet for the cinema then yeah, you can see why Dolby Vision have that in the specs, but that's that's definitely not going to be the case for domestic, commercial. No. Commercial, yeah. Domestic, no.
2: So you're looking at, uh, you know, maybe up to 1,000. Certainly at the moment, they're kind of knocking around the door of 500. Next year, I guess, LED LCD is going to move up to near 1,000. Um LG say that they should be able to get theirs brighter next year as well. But at the moment, they're, they're hitting around 400. That's where they're rating it. They did say there's quite a lot of variance depending, you know, from unit to unit. So I've certainly measured things that have been higher than 400. I think 470 I've seen it at. So they can get pretty bright. This is on a window. You're not going to want a whole screen that is that bright anyway. So if you've got... You're absolute blacks, and you can hit, uh, you know, peak brightness within the image of 450, 500. That's an impressive... I mean, I've seen uh, HDR content on OLED. It looks fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Whereas, as you said, Phil, LCDs have to basically push the brightness to compensate for the fact that they don't have that really deep black floor. Um, so it's, it's kind of... They're both trying to achieve the same thing, but from different um, perspectives or different approaches, both of which are really... Um, emphasizing the inherent advantages of that particular technology. So obviously, OLED has got much deeper blacks, LCD can go much brighter, but where OLED is is strong, and you've mentioned it just a minute ago, Phil, is that they can retain that color accuracy in in dark parts of the image and also in bright parts of the image in a way that LCD can't because LCD gets light bleed from the back panel, which can pollute the color accuracy. Um, So it's not just about the color space, it's about the color volume. So it's the color space combined with the dynamic range. And in that sense, uh, OLED um, can be superior.
1: It's even more of a test for the dimming systems of LED TVs now, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. If they're pushing them really, really bright, if if they're not really, really accurate, then that extra light output's going to you know affect what's around it even more if if it's not accurate. So OLED has got definitely got that advantage. I think we definitely need to see more more HDR content before we come to any real conclusion about how bright it needs to be. Well,
0: then. even just getting some HDR content to play. I mean, I've got the. I've got the, a clip. The, well, I've got the VW520 in the minute. Sony sent me an HDR clip, and it won't play on any media players.
2: Mark, have you watched any of the Amazon Instant stuff? In, in
1: um... It's not it's not available in the UK yet. Oh, is it not? No, it's That's only in the US. I would change my Amazon region, but it's an absolute pain in the ass to get it back, so I'll have to wait till it's available in the UK. Uh, I haven't yet tried to play this HDR clip over USB to this Samsung TV I've got here, but hopefully that'll work.
2: So, well, um, LG were obviously... That was kind of their main reason for us being there, to talk about HDR um, and talk about what their TVs can do. So they were obviously pushing. I mean, Ed's right. I mean, to a certain extent, yes, as the makers of OLEDs, they're going to push certain aspects of OLEDs performance. And that was what they were talking about. You know, don't need to be that bright because you've got the deep blacks, which I kind of agree with personally. They're also talking about what HDR formats they're supporting. So their current HDR TVs uh, will do HDR10, which is what Amazon are using. Uh, in the States. And we did have a demo of the Amazon. Actually, they actually had a live stream, so I don't know where they were getting it from. <laughs> but uh, we watched a bit of Mozart in the Jungle with HDR. Mm. And HDR is also probably going to be certainly the Fox stuff that's being done for 4K Blu-ray. That's using HDR10. Uh, their TVs will also support, um, eventually when it gets finalised, BBC's version of HDR, which they call uh, Hybrid Log Gamma. LG have been working in conjunction with the BBC on this, Um Given what we were just talking about, the BBC realised that there's a in terms of performance between an LCD and an OLED TV. So they're using both LCD TVs from other manufacturers and OLEDs from LG as part of their testing. Uh, and the BBC recently did some, uh, They actually saw some of the footage uh, they were showing it, which was from the America's Cup, which they did in HDR in conjunction with BT Sport uh, earlier this year. So that's happening as well. So those are the two um, formats they're currently supporting or plan to support. Obviously there are others, there's Philips, there's Technicolor and there's, there's Dobby Vision, but those are the ones there currently. So It's a bit of a mess in that sense because, you know, hopefully we might get some more guidance and clear, clear idea about what's going on CES. And the, the news that um, that broke this morning um, that uh, Philips are delaying their flagship TV for that very reason because there's so much uncertainty right now about which HDR formats to support and what's, what's going to be well, used for what.
0: What they need to do is bang all the heads together and say, right, mm-hmm. everybody gets uh, an equal Divi or the license and
2: 70 seventies trying to do that. Actually, they 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 are trying to get everyone to sit down and you know agree a single because it doesn't make sense, doesn't it? It's crazy to have four or five different types of um Yeah, the,
0: HDR. And, and the thing is, the va- the very very slight variances. Mm. In fact, there's only really two main variances when it comes to the gamma curve. So it's not like they're fighting over five different versions. It's just five very very slightly different.
2: Yeah, it, it is a bit silly. Um Maybe they'll I mean, occasionally the industry does see common sense, and not very often, unfortunately. So um, that was one of the things they're talking about. So they're talking about HDR. Um, they also mentioned color space because uh, that came up in the conversation. Actually, I asked the question, but it was, you know, uh, are they going to make a wider color space? Because at the moment, um, if you look at the current sort of flagship OLED TVs, you know, they've got the great blacks. They're relatively to be bright, not as bright as an LCD, but still relatively to be bright. They have 10-bit panels, um, Ultra HD support, um, HDMI 2.0A and HTCP 2.2. So going back to all the things we were talking about last week in terms of what your TV should have. One thing that they're not so good on is their color space. It's about eighty-eight percent of uh, DCI, so not as wide as as the full uh, color space that we think is going to be used. I know, and then they started talking about Rec Twenty Twenty because that came again last week in our co- in our conversations on the podcast last week. And Rec Twenty Twenty is is a standard in many respects, and it's also a, a container, if you like, within which a color space will be mapped. Um, they were talking about the fact that whilst you know, theoretically, they can make televisions that could hit 2020. The realisation in the industry is that using three single frequencies for the th- red, green and blue doesn't look very good. Um, everyone sees colours differently, but, you know, that, that kind of very specific single points um, looks weird to people. And yeah. in fact, what they really need is uh, a, a much more evenly distributed wavelength across the whole range that cl- closer approximates the D- D65, which is uh, basically is uh, white in, in midday
0: sunlight basically, in Europe, basically. The, the easiest way to explain it is you have your triangle for um, your colour space, say RGB, it's a triangle. And in the middle of the triangle, or round about the middle of the triangle, is your white point, which is D65. So if you think of the inside point of that, D65, and if you go to green, which is at the top, what you do is you draw another triangle with the point on D65 and then the two points going across green. So green's in the middle. That makes sense to you? Yes, 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 sorry. And it's that range of green. There is a difference there. There's different hue, the different shade. It's not actually bang on every time when you look at Rec. 709. Certain people will see a difference in the green, but it's within an envelope, it's within a, a given point. When you're thinking about REC 2020, it is a single point, and some people will not see it at all. If it's supposed to be green, they will not see green because it is too fine a point, too fine a wavelength, and it needs to be widened out so at least they, within a, a given envelope they can pick out a colour that is supposed to be there. And like you say, Steve, everybody sees colour differently, but it's always worked since 1931, was it, that they came up with the
2: yeah, that's the CIE charts that, and the measurements that were that were done in. And what they said, and funny enough, nothing they said was they're beginning to realize that the measurements that were taken weren't that accurate back in 1931, and so that's not helping matters either.
0: <laughs> well, well, no, but we've got it to a certain accuracy here, where because it, it it really doesn't matter how you see green, as long as the image is 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 replayed back that way, that's the way you will see it, It's the way somebody else will see it. You know, it's it's how it was captured because it's within if it's different to that then it really is a game of of it could be anything basically and what you see it could be anything so at least having the standards it puts it in that envelope that people can see green we might all see it slightly differently but then you're not going to know that are you because you can't see you know i can't see how you see green steve and you can't see how i see it but if it's in that that ballpark there and you get used to everything being standardized to that point then it starts looking the same.
2: Yeah, which is exactly the reason why we have standards in the first place, so that there's a consistency to everything. Uh, and if you end up with an extreme situation where people, everyone's seeing things differently, that doesn't sound like a particularly um, flexible or, or, or realistic-looking standard. Yeah, so I mean, what they're basically saying is that we can build. There, uh, there will be a move to wider color spaces over time, over a longer period of time, obviously. But over time, there will be a move to wider color spaces within that container. But it's not going to be hitting those exact points because it just doesn't it, look it, right. It never
0: will. You know. <laughs> it'll be called Rec Twenty Twenty, but it'll never be the single wavelength because it's no. pointless. It'll never get there. And people that say that they're getting there at the minute. And I've, case in point, this Sony uh, VW520 that I've got in at the moment um, has a REC 2020. It's got REC 709 and REC 2020 under the color space selector. You select 2020 and it doesn't even get to DCI in terms of <laughs> color width. But, what's, but the, what's the point of including
1: that control? But
0: it's called REC 2020 because within the REC 2020, they've got their triangle. <laughs> It's it's a nonsense, and it's been a nonsense from the moment this was all announced. Um, you know, there's people in the industry who straight away said, look, this, this just won't work, why are we doing this? Other people arguing, well, if you, if you put it wide enough, and we're not talking about the colour gamut here, but if you put your specifications wide enough, you can work within those specifications until you, you get to that point, and that, that does you for 10 or 15 or 20 years. So, yeah, you can get it from that point of view, but that just confuses the consumer because the consumer says sees rec 2020 they go on the internet and they see a triangle at 2020 and they think that that is what they are getting uh, and that's yeah. what the performance is and it never will be not in a single wavelength point.
2: No. i mean what, what they've done is they've created a set of standards that effectively encompass every conceivable you know technological development over the next 20 30 years so we're talking about within that standard there's also higher frame rates and uh, 8k and all sorts of things um it's the base. They were just covering their bases, weren't they?
0: Well, <laughs> well to think of everything they could exactly. In there. <laughs> this is a backside coverer, if ever there was one, because they can just say, "Well, it is rec twenty twenty, and it could be DCI, but it's within the twenty twenty container, so they're going to call it 2020. Well, that makes no sense whatsoever because it could be anything then. Oh, it's it's within the twenty twenty container, so we're we're technically telling you the truth.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was it was an interesting day, uh, or interesting morning rather, at um, at, at um, LG. You know, you've got an idea of um, where they are currently in terms of OLED, where they're, where they're hoping to go next year in terms of, um, obviously, we'll see their new OLED um, models at CES. They'll be um, announced there. And then, obviously, they'll hit the street, I guess, March, April time. I did mention, I talked to them about um, some of the issues, that, particularly the vignetting. They're aware of it. They're working on it. Um, you know, each iteration, hopefully, they said will improve. So, you know, they're aware of some of these issues and they are working on, on, on fixes if they can. Um, some might just be limitations to the technology, but if, if they can... And certainly, um, obviously, Panasonic could prove that it is possible to get rid of it, depending on how you yeah, drive it. Yeah, panel. but
0: look at the price difference. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And are you going to are, put up with it to save three grand? Well, yeah, yes. I'll, I'll put up with it to save three
2: grand. They, um, they did mention... I asked them about the, the big price reductions that were announced for the US. They said there's not going to be reflected in the UK necessarily directly because it's a different market, but totally. there will be a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of um, deals being done through certain retailers, and I know that some people have already reported some of in Curry's um, in, in the last week. So you, you know, you're going to be able to pick up some pretty good deals, too, because we've got, they also mentioned that there's two uh, sales peaks now between now and the end of the year. There's Black Friday towards the end of this month, and then obviously Christmas as well. Um, and you'll see lots of deals being done going into that period. So you should get some quite nice bargains if you want to buy an OLED TV this year.
0: Okay, uh, so so that's uh, the article. It's up on the homepage at the minute. Yep. I'm going to stop Steve there before he does the whole thing so you don't need to go and read it. Go and read it because <laughs> we haven't covered everything here, although we have been talking for 20-odd minutes. Um, it is interesting to get LG's point of view on the market um, and interestingly enough they've gone to Hollywood for the HDR side of things as well Steve which is exactly the uh, the way that uh, Panasonic have been uh, yeah. approaching the whole thing with, with Mike Sower from Technicolor so interesting where did this guy work
2: Yes, he works for LG. He works in um, Silicon Valley. He, he oh, works, but the same uh, as uh,
0: Dr. Um
2: Yes, um, Dr. Nandu. Uh,
0: so, like I mentioned, uh, VW520, got that in for review at the moment. A uh, new 4K projector from uh, Sony. Say new. Um, it's the 500 and the valid HDR support, and done some tweaks to the Gamma so it can support HDR. That's where I am at the moment, Steve. Looking at it, I can't see anything else that is different from the 500. And certainly in performance terms, I don't think there's anything there. I mean, I saw 500 a long time ago. I don't have one side by side, but you had a, a long look at the 500. And looking at the 520, it looks like they've added HDR, and we saw it at, um, at IFA in a demo, and that's what they were pushing. So that looks like, and like I say, it, it doesn't have wider color gamut. It can't even hit 709. Um, in the 709 mode, you're going to have to use the CMS. I, I've only done so much in terms of calibrating so far. haven't even approached color yet because I'm having real issues with gamma. For some strange reason, it wants to do an S curve where it goes from two point two at the lowest point, and then between sort of twenty and eighty IRE, it wants to be at two point six, and then it comes back down and actually goes under two point two at the high end. So, like an S curve, basically, can't do anything about it, which is really quite frustrating at the minute. You know, if you look at if you have a five hundred at the moment, and you're looking at this as an upgrade, just be aware that from what I can tell. Um, and certainly from the tests and everything else, it looks like the only update really is HDR support.
2: That's certainly the impression I got from reading the specs and seeing the demo we had at EFA. Uh, so it's a bit brighter, basically, isn't it? And it's got HDR support.
0: Yeah, and I've, I've got it side by side with, uh, with the X700, um, the JVC, which is resident in the room for the time being. It's, it's still our reference point at the moment. And um, got to say, not a lot to pick between them. Even with the even with the e-shift and playing a four K signal through through both projectors, um, the Sony's maybe just a tiny bit more detailed because it's the native four K machine. But you'd be hard pushed, I think, in a blind test. You know, if you're sitting at normal viewing distance, um, which is what I was up, up by the projector, so I could switch between the two of them. I just held things in front of the lens so I could swap backwards and forwards. So I was actually almost at the back of the room from the screen. And from that distance, you couldn't really tell any major difference. There was more differences in terms of the JVC was calibrated and the Sony wasn't calibrated. And it looked a little bit better. And there was a little bit more in terms of black level on the JVC than the Sony. But I've got to say, the Sony... I hear people writing on the forums, and again, maybe it's expectation levels that saying that the blacks are really bad on the Sony. No, they're not. They're within a smidge of the JVC, to be honest. The JVC goes a little bit, a little bit darker and has a little bit more shadow detail compared to the Sony, which tends to clip a little bit. No matter how you set it, set it up, it does that. But in terms of black levels, you know, if somebody gave me one, I'd be quite happy.
2: And that's not that's just native without using the dynamic iris.
0: That's with it. Di- it's really noticeable on the uh, on the Sony. Um, in the, in the full mode, it's really noticeable. In the limited mode, not so much, but you can still see it moving on certain fade to blacks and, and, and so on. Would I personally use it? No, I wouldn't. I'd have it switched off and use the manual iris, which is what I do on the JVC. Mm. Um, I use the manual iris because it already has a fantastic, like we are talking about OLED, it already has a fantastic black floor. Um, so anything on top of that, just the dynamic range is just so much better. It'll be interesting once I get this Sony calibrated up and get the review written and so but you know it's still retailing for about eight thousand pounds is it yeah yeah uh, compared to where the jvcs are going to be this year i think the middle model in the jvcs which is the seven thousand is going to be about five grand so th- there is quite a price difference now whereas with the x700 i think that was seven grand wasn't it so there was only it a grand. Cr- similar yeah so it was more similar, it was about thirteen hundred quids worth of difference. And and when you're at that point you probably say, Well, yeah, future proof go with a four K. But actually this time around, we've still see the JVCs, we're waiting on production models. We could have had a pre pro To look at, didn't want to see it. I want to see the finished retail thing. So it's going to be the end of the month before we can see that. So sadly, we're not going to be able to put the the two of them together. But from what we've seen with the JVCs, Steve compared to the 520, the 520 is is an update to add HDR in. Um, The JVCs are going to have HDR from the bottom model up, which is quite a difference, you know. So not the eight thousand pound start point that the Sony's are. So you're going to have wider color gamut as well. We've yet to measure it, and so on. It, It might just be the same as Sony and be a little bit a little bit off um nine, but yeah it, it's not as clear cut as as we discussed last last week on the podcast it's not as clear cut to say go with the sony for the 4k future proofing because actually there's not that great deal of difference between e-shift and, and native 4k from a proper viewing distance and that's on a 110 inch screen two differences that you're going to notice in terms of black levels in terms of wider color gamut in terms of hdr support so it's not clear cut
2: it isn't. Uh, I mean, we've been saying that, I think, uh, for some time now. And the, and the industry has realised that it's not just about more pixels. As I like to say, it's not about more pixels, it's about better pixels. And, and,
0: <laughs> or, or as and a marketing man would say, clever pixels.
2: <laughs> um, and looking at
0: the just looking at the specs,
2: I think the the specifications aside from the lack of native four K resolution on the panels themselves, I think the specifications on the JVCs look better. So we'll be we'll be very interested to yeah, see what yeah. you think when you do get the X seven thousand in.
0: I'm not going to be drawn on it, Steve. You can see what you like based on the specs. So I'm not going to be drawn on it until I've seen them. You know, everything points to to yeah, it's it's not native four K, but. Is it better in other areas? And that's certainly something that we'll look at. So you can look out for that review of the Sony, if I can get the gamma sorted, probably towards the end of this week, beginning of next week for that. And you're looking at the Marantz SR7010, flagship for Marantz, yeah. and it should be a better.
2: I mean, well, I think last year, the 7, 7.009 was, was a fantastic receiver. Um, really, really good value. Great performer. Uh, really good with... Um, you know, with movies with surround sound had Dolby Atmos, of course, uh, but also uh, nice musical with them um, two channel stereo as well. So a great all round receiver. Really liked it. Uh, so this is the kind of the latest version. I think it's got new and uh, improved DAX on it. Plus, obviously, it will have at some point DTSX. That's firmware update. Is still, <laughs> we're still waiting on that. I, I, as far as I'm aware, Denon and Marantz are currently beta testing um, DTS X. With the intention of um, so, looks so, like, is good. so at least
0: it exists.
2: It does exist, yeah. Um, and I think the current plan is for the firmware update to go out in January, probably after CES. So I'm guessing they'll do some demos and stuff at CES, or the manufacturers will, and then we'll start to actually see it being included in receivers in, I think this, in January.
0: I think this raises a, a few pertinent points at this at this juncture because um, you mentioned it in a in a. Uh, reply to I think it was the thread for the unboxing video where we were talking about uh, DTS X and and now it seems to be a spoiling tactic basically used to to spoil Dolby Atmos <laughs> um, and and I guess the, 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 there's quite a bit of truth in that because with so many delays and, and and so on and Ed this is a trick that if you were in the trade and your competitor had a bit of tech and you were a bit behind in the development curve yeah just you, you're gonna you're gonna start playing playing the old PR game aren't you?
3: realistically yes um you know i i I, within the bounds of litigation you might as well just do enough to distract attention from uh you know stuff in existence and keep your name in in the press it's as simple as that it's deeply cynical it doesn't necessarily help anybody except dts but yeah it does look more and more like that sort of what's going on at the moment so yeah uh it isn't the first time we've seen it it certainly won't be the last um if it results in a meaningful additional format so much the better
0: it could backfire and i think as time goes on steve it looks more and more man it you know, people start to read through it don't they and, and they start to look at the bigger picture and say well hang on you know is this going to come is this even going to be worthwhile when it does come to market
2: yeah i mean I've heard a few things behind the scenes um and I think it'll be interesting when it finally does turn up uh in a, in a real form uh how it's actually implemented by the by the a v manufacturers in particular and um and the speaker configuration is going to be interesting because that's something that if you actually re- read their announcement back in April when they were promising you know receivers by the summer um there's no detail in there at all really it's all complete smoke and mirrors. Uh, you know, there's nothing specific about speaker layout or anything like that. Um, it, it, it was, yeah, it smacked of stalling tactics and spoiling tactics on their part, to be honest. And I think that's what they've been doing for the last year, because they, they were first talking about it this time last year. Then they had a, a demo at CES, but there was no information again, um, even by April, no real information, I think concrete. Um, and now we're in November and we still haven't actually heard it um, actually in a, in a real product. Uh, and now we're looking at probably January, maybe later. So there's been a bit of that going on, I think. Um, and, and I think from the point of view of the consumer, that's that's a bit annoying because people may be holding off buying a receiver thinking, oh, well, I want both, you know, and I want this and that. It's It'd be interesting to see. Hopefully, we'll get some demos of real, actual working receivers in, in January at, at CES. And we'll be able to hear them in action. But, you know, as I said in that post, in the meantime, I've got nearly 30 Atmos discs and I've got one DTSX disc. So there you go. Maybe... Maybe things have moved on and that's the end of it now. But I know they're trying to, in the industry, they're trying to get um, a more open source approach so that people can just do the mix how they want and whether it's used you know, at later on, they use Atmos or DTSX or even Aura, which apparently is moving to uh, an object-based platform for that very reason, Phil. That, that's what they want, something more open source and just do, you do your mix how you want and then which platform you ultimately use is irrelevant, which I guess would be good for, for consumers if we can just get one, you know, we don't, I don't really care if there's, three different platforms as long as the speaker configuration is the same.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you know, since the days of ProLogic, the way it's worked is is in a 5.1 or a 7.1 configuration. So if they can come to a standard configuration where you place the speakers, then you can have any flavor you like of immersive audio. Yeah, and audio. D- if
2: I had to hazard a guess, I'd say it's going to be a 7.1.4 kind of figure- configuration. Yeah. Makes sense, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, so wrapping up on the first look of the Marantz, um, is it promising? Is it is it performing yes, the way no, you it's think?
2: Yes, it's great. I really like it. It's, uh, it sounds fantastic. It's uh, it's a really good receiver. It's, but, but yeah, it's kind of an iteration on, on last year's model, more of the same in, in many respects, but uh, it's got plenty of future-proofing in there in terms of the connections, uh, uh, and it's, it performs well. It's, it's uh, I really like the Marantz's. I think they're lovely receivers, and this is another cracker from the company, I think.
0: I've just realised we've got nine for Ed to talk about.
3: I'm all right. I'm... Uh, I'm- Mentally spending tomorrow's 80 million jackpot. Don't worry about me.
0: <laughs> You're sitting there spending 80 million as well, so am I...
3: Yeah. <laughs> so one of the uh, original seven Porsche 356 Carrera Speedsters for sale at the moment. They want one and a half million dollars for it, which is a bit high on the outside, but with 80 million.
0: <laughs> yeah. You, you see, know. that's a thing, you know. 80 million, and he starts saying, "Oh, 1.5 million. Oh, that's nine <laughs> No, I'll tell, tell you what, it, that eighty million wouldn't last very long with you, would it, Ed? <laughs> You'd have spent it Well, with except I'd, one I'd end up with a lot,
3: of, a lot of, uh, generally speaking, assets which which either don't appreciate or actively appreciate. So, yeah, I'd be cash rich, cash poor, and asset rich, shall we say? You know, and I'd probably have some storage issues. But you know,
2: <laughs> well, no, not eighty enough. million good you? you wouldn't just buy a bigger garage.
0: It'd be a lot of fun trying to spend eighty million, though, wouldn't it? The it Bruce depends. Those, if you <laughs> It must be
3: said, that film is well overdue a remake. If we're going to disappear off on a tangent here, of all the stuff that's being dragged up from the ACES to be remade, Brewster's Millions would be
0: absolutely ideal.
3: I mean, obviously, you'd need to act with inflation and make sure I had to spend, they'd realistically have to spend... To, to, to be
0: honest, Ed, I think, it, I think it was a film of its time, and I think it's best left as it was, I mean, and I, as I know, obviously, it.
3: It, it, the two lead actors do have the advantage of not having to be called back on account of being dead but yeah we'll we'll see
0: yeah and Um, and of course there was a whole political correctness thing hadn't come in either so you know there are a lot of gags which are pretty close to the mark but you forgive that because of the time period it was made in
3: yeah suppose but um yeah anyway so don't worry about me I'm, i'm i'm mentally buying porsches i'm good
0: Right, so um, movie news. Steve, you were out gigging over the weekend, so I noticed. So uh, you didn't get to the cinema, did you?
2: I didn't. I wanted to go and see Burnt. It wasn't showing at my local cinema, which was a bit annoying. Uh, Burnt being the film about a chef, um, Bradley Cooper, who um, tries to sort of regain his reputation um, by opening a restaurant in London. Uh, I was going to go and see Kill Your Friends, but Sharuna thought it wasn't very good and eventually didn't bother going because, as she said, I was quite busy anyway. And um, the other film that opened up and was reviewed last week was Brooklyn, uh, now, which looks quite nice too.
0: Kill Your Friends, is that based on American Psycho? No,
2: it's be- well, it's similar to American Psycho. It's based on a book called Kill Your Friends, um, basically about an A&R man in the late 90s, Britpop explosion, who um, will resort to anything to get to the top, including killing his friends. Oh, um, so yes, it's, it's got a, d- a dash of American Psycho about it, certainly. Although, apparently, Nicholas Holt is excellent playing the lead character. Okay. He's also called Stephen. Uh, this week, uh, speaking of Stevens, um, we have Steve Jobs opening on uh, Friday, which is the Danny Boyle, Aaron Sorkin um, film about obviously Steve Jobs with um, Michael Fassbender in the lead role. Seth Rogen playing um, Steve Wozniak. There's a lot of Steve's around today. And, um, and uh, also, who else is in it? Um, Kate Winslet. Now, whilst Michael Fassbender does not look much like Steve Jobs, it has to be said, as opposed to Ashton Kutcher, who actually really did look a bit like him in, in the film Jobs. Danny Boyle said, you know, I'm not interested in you doing an impression. I just want you to give a performance. And the way the film, I believe, is structured is it's, it takes place over four different conferences where, you know, where they launch new products um, and covers his life. But in a view with flashbacks and stuff within this t- t- structure. And, uh, you know... I'm quite looking forward to it because, frankly, I don't think Danny Boyle and Aaron Sorkin can make a boring film if they tried. So I think it's going to be interesting, if nothing else. And we'll give you a fairly honest... I mean, I know Steve wasn't yet, I think, was involved to a degree. So, and a lot of people who knew Steve Jobs weren't particularly impressed with Jobs, the film.
0: I I don't think they've been that impressed. Family haven't been that impressed with this one. no.
2: I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think, uh, you know, it's got a fantastic cast and, and great talent behind the
0: camera. And, I think and if, you, if you approach it in a sort of Braveheart type of way.
2: <laughs> well, if you look at it this way, right? I mean, who would have thought when you first read that Aaron Sorkin was writing a film about Facebook, it would be any good? But actually, social network was really that, good. That's, that's true. If the yeah, only it Aaron was.
3: Sorkin thing i like. <laughs> well, there you
2: go then. You know, you've got to think, well, you know, it should be, I'm sure it'll be interesting and I, I, I'm looking forward to it. That opens on Friday anyway. That's um, That's the big release this week.
0: Are you going to go and see it?
2: I am going to go and see it the weekend,
0: yes. And you're going to tell us what it's like next week? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. See how I feel. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's Steve Jobs' kind of cinema. Uh, Blu-ray this week. We've got Spy, Better Call Saul, Season 1, and Mad Men, the complete collection. Uh, you did an unboxing of Mad Men. It looked like a nice yes. box set, that, actually.
2: It is a very nice box set. It's... Um, you know, anyone who's familiar with Mad Men will know that it's, you know, a very tastefully made series with a, with a 60s vibe to it. And the box set reflects that in terms of its graphic, in terms of its contents. It's, uh, it's got some nice little, um, little Mentos, if you like, of the series within it. And it's got every single episode, all 92 episodes, uh, ton- hours and hours of extras, uh, including a whole extra disc of extras as well. Um, not cheap £139 so if you're a fan of the series you've probably already you've probably already got a lot of it so it's a big call to buy it but if you haven't bought any of Mad Men up to now and this is what you've been waiting for then you won't be disappointed and the
0: the, the thing is you're going to have to buy it now because unlike the Bond box set and the Battlestar Galactica which were approaching £100 a a box as well I think Battlestar Galactica was even over that Um, this is limited edition this Mad Men one I think it's 2000 worldwide
2: Okay, well there you go then. I say one thing: if uh, I don't know, if, I mean I quite like Mad Men, but if you haven't seen it, um, it was shot on thirty-five mil, um, so it looks spectacular on disc. Really gorgeous. Um, for that reason alone, it's worth getting on Blu-ray. I know you could watch the series on you know Netflix or something like that, but it, it is one of those series that's worth. A bit like Game of Thrones, you know, it's worth buying on disc because the production values are there on screen and it looks gorgeous. And um, you know it's, it's it, by shooting it on film, it reflects the fact it's set during the 1960s, but you know, it's, it's set in the advertising industry in, in Madison Avenue in New York and you know, the, the cast look gorgeous and the, the sets look cool. everything about it looks gorgeous and and it's beautifully shot so it's well worth getting for that reason alone and if you can watch really more than a
3: couple it's... of episodes and not really 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 onto cigarette you're doing
0: that Ed Ed, <laughs> it, Ed, Ed Ed it is so funny that you say that bit the whole reason I did not get into this was I was trying to give up smoking and I was, don't well
3: that, I mean I've never been I, I, I've never regularly smoked in my entire life but I've, after about three episodes I, I found, <laughs> found myself you know
0: You've gone out for a lucky strike.
3: Well, that wasn't so much of a problem. That, thankfully, there's none in the house. Uh, although, there's plenty of scotch. I mean, that was the other, the other yeah, thing.
0: drinking like, and smoking have mm-hmm. done an awful lot in this series. <laughs> yeah, but, but then again, it was the 60s. I mean, when I started working in factories and stuff, it was the done thing. You, you, you sat at your station and you smoked or you, or you were working and you were smoking and...
2: I was talking about that with a friend it's funny isn't it how things change and how quickly you get used to it the idea now of going into a pub where people were smoking in it being full of smoke and you coming out stinking in fact, even if you weren't having a cigarette yourself just seems ridiculous now the idea of smoking yeah. at dinner table in restaurants the idea of people smoking at work like you said Phil just now you, you just think that's, that's crazy no one would ever do that but yeah. there was a time when that was the
0: norm Everyone yeah when, when I was a, when I was a teenager and, and um, my first couple of jobs were in factories and stuff and yeah it was a done thing you didn't even pat an eyelid. People smoking next to you, and like you say, the pubs and clubs and nightclubs. I used to work in nightclubs, on it, you know, and you didn't even need the smoke machine, you know, for, <laughs> for, the, for the lighting and stuff, because it was there was that haze. And I remember, you know, you would you would take your record boxes out and put them in the car, and they stink of stale beer and, and cigarettes—it's unbelievable. Yeah,
3: yeah I must have. Well, that said, I mean, I don't know about you. I remember when the smoking ban came in. And it's like, mm, yeah, we can go out and it will, you know, be a much, uh, you know, you won't stink of cigarette smoke. All it demonstrated was how bad most of these venues smell anyway <laughs> when they weren't full of cigarette smoke. It took some time before cleaning and basic hygiene caught up with the fact that you couldn't rely on hot twenty thousand Marlboro lights covering the smell.
0: Anyway, <laughs> ah,
2: what, the sixties. Don't you miss them? <laughs>
0: I don't remember the 60s. I wasn't born until 74, so there you go. <laughs> anyway, Better Call Saul's the other that's one. That's
2: what I was thinking. If you were born in 74, you must have been bloody young when they took you to see Star Wars. you only
0: been four. Yeah, that's what I mean. But my grand still tells me all about it. I think she got a lot out of it as well. Yeah, you uh, think
2: you were just an excuse so she can go and see Star Wars?
0: <laughs> pro- probably. And I'm probably living those memories through just being told that I was there. So anyway, the other one's Better Call Saul. Um, the debate on this one is going to be, Mark, it's available on Netflix in four K or you buy the Blu ray box set and which is gonna have the better picture quality. We've yeah, been well, here before, haven't we?
1: We've been here before with House of Cards and we're going there again with uh, Better Better sort, which I've already seen. So um
0: fantastic series.
1: Lovely, yeah, lovely, lovely spin off from Breaking Bad. Um yeah, so I'm gonna probably spend an awful lot of time coming to the conclusion there's only a tiny amount of difference, I'm guessing. <laughs> But yeah, that's probably how it'll go. I've not seen it in 4K. I don't think I had a 4K TV when I watched it uh, on Netflix. I don't remember doing it anyway. So um, I'm getting the discs sent over and I have got 4K TV here at the minute. So I shall be doing some comparisons back to back.
0: And so that's a Blu-rays out this week. Um, if you're going to go and pick one, which one would you go and pick, Steve?
2: Um, <laughs> I'd probably pick up uh, Spy because I haven't seen it. Um, and I've seen the other two all right okay my, my decision right. process was also because it'd be cheaper than the two particularly Mad men.
0: yeah and you can watch better call Saul on netflix, netflix. so there you go and you watch lots of other things including a brand new documentary for back to the future which mm. i noticed was there yesterday and i sat and watched it all an hour and a half really comprehensive look back it had all the main people there so bob gale zemeckis uh michael j fox uh christopher lloyd interviews with them it also had a look at the renovating the DeLorean so the one that was out in the back lot at Universal and it got yeah. forgotten about and rusted and people were nicking bits off it and all the rest of it so it covered the full restoration of that as well and um, yeah really really comprehensive so uh, if you got Netflix it's well worth an hour and a half if you oh, love back, back, in the time, f- isn't it? back in time, back in time. Yes. Yeah. So if you like Back to the Future and um, and it's all new interviews and it's all new stuff. So it's nothing regurgitated from Blu Ray extras or anything like that. I think it was a kick f- Kickstarter funded, yeah. Um, Kickstarter, um, fund, yeah.
2: And and it does go into also the fans as well and people that buy in, um, Deloreans and, and I, I was beginning to wonder. Have all the Deloreans still in circulation? I wonder how many have been converted into time machines. <laughs> you, you've you've, you've got two
0: thing. lots of owners here because um, yeah. I follow the Delorean. DeLorean um, Owners Club on Facebook. So you got two types of people. You got the people who make them into time machines, and then you have the fanatics who want it absolutely as it came out of the factory in Belfast. So you got two distinct camps, and very rarely do the mix because people hmm. who turn them into Back to the Future cars, the purists, absolutely hate them because they're destroying the car in their eyes. Whereas that, I think, I think, wants is wants if, if you're going to do it properly, can.
3: it's more. I mean, uh, the other one where you get this this splitting is um, Dodge Chargers with people that paint them orange and turn them into General Lee. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, a again, that's completely reversible, so that's generally, you know, that, that's not... But, a, but hey, at
0: the end of the day, if somebody wants to pay 20 grand, which is the going rate for a decent DeLorean, um, somebody wants to pay that and then pay another 20 grand turning it into a time machine and doing it right, and when you see... The levels of analness that these people go to to get the exact right parts to go in the back canopy of the car and to go on the inside, and it has to be the right switch gear, and um, the time circuits have to be absolutely bang on it. If you see the detail they go to, Fair cup to them. If they want to do that, then who, who's to say don't do that? You know what I mean? If you're
3: really going to do it, really, really, really annoy the DeLorean Owners Club by making it like in Back to the Future 3 on railway wheels. <laughs> that will <laughs> really help <laughs> <be laughs> to Big white wheel tyres. <laughs> well, well, no, 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 actually, on the railway wheels at the end of it.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the guys that gets interviewed in the documentary actually owns, it's the only DeLorean that's in private hands that was actually a screen-used vehicle. And it's the one from Back to the Future Three on the white wall tires. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Really interesting documentary. If you're into Back to the Future or anything like that, I highly recommend it. Go watch it. I'm, I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, right. So to wrap up, another one of my favourite TV series from growing up, um, Star Trek. It's been announced that there's going to be a new series. I don't know about this one. You know, do do you think they've done enough with the next generation Deep Deep Space Nine and Enterprise and Voyager? Do we need another Star Trek series or, or do you think we've been there, done that and let's just leave it?
3: No, I think there's scope for another one. The, the the argument, and it's been ongoing in the thread on the forums, is is this going to be in the reboot universe or does it follow on from Deep Space Nine? Uh, does it try and do something completely different? Um, they they There's a lot of pros and cons to any of those choices. But they have to make that decision and really stick it. Whatever they do, any of those situations does not preclude it being a very watchable TV series. But they have to make a clear decision and 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 really live live with it. That's that's the interesting one. I, I will wait with bated breath to see where it's going to be set. I think that's going to be absolutely key to my my enjoyment of it. I mean I just I mean I'm gonna put my cards on the table. I thought that Enterprise was absolute chud from start to finish half you know, the problem was i honestly couldn't have cared less if they had been blown to atoms in the third or fourth episode
0: <laughs> Just, I, 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 had, I can't even say it i can't even say i watched it because when they when they cast what's his face scott is it scott baluca um you know to me that's quantum leap you know what i mean I, I could i could not and and it's it's that whole thing about being um in the same role for such a such a long time that you're typecast into that that role and people can't think of you any, anything else and that was the the problem with him. Um, plus, it was at a time where I was I was a bit Star Trek fed up. I'd, I'd had enough Star Trek by that point, and um, I don't think it came along at the right time. I think it was uh, it, it felt a bit forced. To be honest, it was a it was a brave thing to do, but. Um, you no, know, I, I I just don't think it pulled it off at all, and I, I had no a interest big in it.
2: gap now. I mean, I know there's Possibly. been the films, but, but but in terms of television, there's been a reasonable gap between Enterprise. Which you're right, wasn't well received and got canned after only three seasons. I think it was. You know, January 2017. That's I mean, it's a decent enough gap. You could do something, and it, like Ed said, there's lots of potential there to do something interesting. And I think a lot of Star Trek fans fans of the series, um, and to a certain extent, the original cast films, doesn't they don't really like the, the movies, the current rebooted movies. And I can understand why, because they're not... they I mean, let's be honest, J.J. Abrams directed the first two, and he, by his own admission, wasn't even a Star Trek fan. He, he prefers Star Wars. He's, don't, he's currently just done his dream gig. But he made the Star Trek films like he was directing Star Wars films. I mean, they were very much more frenetic than any Star Trek film PC, or series I, had ever been before.
0: PC, I enjoyed that because I think the problem was the next generation and Deep Space Nine was a bit better in terms of the drama, but certainly the next generation, it just got so um full of morality tales and, and it was the same type of. Yeah, it? yeah yes, no, but, always, that's yeah, but it was okay. too much. It was just it was it became relentless in the end. And I think that's what it was like do something different, let's have let's have a bit of controversy, let's have a bit of action. And and it just got too I don't want to say but it got too up its own. Well, there are a couple of things
3: outside of the world of Star Trek. There's a couple of things that have happened in television since well, since Enterprise, and certainly since Deep Space Nine and all the rest of it. Um, If we take just little things like Game of Thrones and the whole construct of a character shield being absolutely irrelevant and um, much more, uh, I mean, also the abandoning almost completely of episodic um TV drama. I mean, most of it is now season arc sort of stuff. Uh, I think if these sort of things are applied intelligently to the Star Trek universe, it, it's perfectly redeemable. But Star Trek has all always uh, you know has also always been a reflection of um the concerns of humanity at the time that each given series is being made. Uh, so it's also going to be a case of working out, you know, if we can avoid the sort of overt homeland in space sort of <laughs> stage as well. Not to say that Homeland isn't excellent, but it is, but it, it, it's casting a long shadow on a lot of other stuff at the moment. If, we can, if it can intelligently pick from what has been going on in the world of television since they were last making stuff and, and apply it to a consistent and well thought out universe, there's no reason why it couldn't be excellent. Also, uh, without meaning to sound in any way jingoistic, it needs a significant quantity of British actors. Otherwise, it <laughs> doesn't work. What well,
2: well, US show does, it seems to have nothing but British absolutely. actors in it anyway. You
3: know, but Patrick, I mean, I take on board, Phil, what you were saying about Next Generation, but Patrick Stewart bloody made that series. Taking, I mean, I know he was play, notionally playing a Frenchman, but the whole thing was Nels was <laughs> Shakespearean and, Nel, and influences of Shakespeare and influences of captains in the Napoleonic era, and it was bloody excellent.
0: I, I just think it overstayed its welcome. Well, uh, most successful We don't need to pick out next gen for that. I, I can dip back into it now, now and enjoy it for what it was. And and sometimes you watch it, you think, oh, how hokey is that? You know. <laughs> um, but you know, growing up on the stuff, you kind of forgive it. Uh, what I'd like to see is certainly something along the lines of, like you say, Game of Thrones, or um, how they handle Battlestar Galactica, when it's well, more they, when it's more about the characters to be
3: considered and taken. I mean, the other thing is that any any re- representation of combat in space, if even if they don't use the rebooted universe, if they don't at least take a bloody long look at the first. 10 minutes of the first film as to just how visceral combat in space can be portrayed then there are that that's just a massive opportunity lost i'm sure it's expensive in cgi terms but you don't need to do it that often the simple premise of it just you know not you know firing little little girly man christmas lights at one another and rocking <laughs> backwards and forwards on a set it has to have a real crunch to it, and it's it's easier to do that than at any time prior to these series being made, and they have oh, yeah. to take advantage of that.
0: And and I guess Steve, it's been away long enough that we are actually into the next generation coming to this, so it has to appeal to a whole new audience as well.
3: Oh yeah,
2: that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, thanks for making me feel old, uh, Phil. I think I think you're right though, Phil. I think. um I think Battlestar Galactica in particular has set the bar very high in terms of what can be done with a space-set sci-fi series in terms of uh, characters, storylines, addressing current... I mean, Star Trek, the original series, you know, did address... You know, it it was very much a product of its time, the late 60s, that kind of sense of hope that was very much prevalent until one of the reasons, I guess, maybe why it got uh, canned in 69 was because things were, that hope was beginning to evaporate. But... I think if they can create a series that uh, can draw on that original inspiration but still reflect modern times um, and bring into it the kind of realism or the, like you were talking about space battles, I mean, you know, on, on Battlestar Galactica, their, um, their space battles were really good. I mean, they were shot like gun camera footage, weren't they? And they, and they I mean, they only had a TV budget. Well, the, they managed well, the, to make the effects the, look really good in it.
0: The underlying thing there as well was, was this whole religious war. Which was Mm. it was never discussed openly, but very much based on the whole thing that was happening with Christianity and Islam and so on. Yeah, all
2: science fiction, regardless of when you know what it is, all science fiction reflects the time it's made in and not about. It's not about the future. So it would be interesting to see what they do do with the new Star Trek series. Um, I'm kind of. I think it, it, I'd like it to be set in the current rebooted universe, but obviously not involve any of the rebooted crew. To have something completely different and new, but within Starfleet, would be great. Um, but there's masses of potential, um, and with modern TV production values and effects and things they can do on television budgets these days, uh, it could look great. You know. Um, because let's be honest, <laughs> the uh, original series, w- w- fun as it was, uh, budget-wise and effects-wise, was, was wanting a lot of the time. But um, Well,
3: I mean, the thing that kicked Deep Space Nine up a notch was when they moved from model-based portrayal to early CGI. CGI yeah. It was like, yeah, all of a sudden we can blow shit up. Let's be honest about this. It just, just became a, a massively more practical thing to do on an episodic basis. And just taking further advantage of that. As I say, I mean you know it that if they don't take much else from the film those the sequences of just what happens when you start ripping stuff open in a vacuum you need to make more use of that because it's just visually brutal stuff well so i mean to try about i'm i'm guardedly optimistic there's plenty i mean don't get me wrong plenty of other things on if it doesn't work but if it does i'll give it a fair crack of the whip and yeah we'll see what happens i mean master chef professionals kicks off tomorrow night i'm oh, <laughs> a happy, happy bunny <laughs> bloody love that especially when it's the heats you get some delusional uh, any, anything case.
0: with beer or food ed and you're in there aren't you doesn't matter yeah. what it is
3: well not everything i mean um but master chef professionals it's just oh, tv highlight of the year
0: okay so on that bombshell <laughs> uh, we have gone way way over time Although this will probably end up being an hour long <laughs> But my thanks to Steve Withers.
2: The ex-wife took the whole damn planet in the divorce. All I got left is my bones.
0: Mark Hodgkinson.
2: So I'll do the quote now.
1: <laughs> Four years, I'll do it
2: in three.
0: And Ed Selly.
3: I have no comment on the matter.
0: Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news and video. And of course, if you give us five stars on iTunes, uh, which helps us get up the charts there and open up to new listeners and get people more involved with the podcast... We'll read your name out. There you go. You can't get better than that. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next Wednesday.